Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Mission Church, how we doing? Pastor Tyler here. Hey, uh, I want to talk to the people who are doing the 21 days of prayer and fasting. We are two weeks in, and I pray that you're just starting to see something different in your own spiritual life. Uh, Also, I want to clarify something real quick. Uh, After I announced last week that Rachel and I are fasting vegetables, people literally thought I said that we were fasting vegetables, like we weren't going to eat vegetables. (laughs) No, no, we're only eating vegetables right now for 21 days of prayer and fasting, and then we're praying and reading. And again, these opportunities where you you get to say yes to God and and just train yourself to say no to your flesh. We say yes to our flesh way too much, church. Oh, shopping, eating, whatever it is. Man, it's good to train yourself to say no flesh and yes to your spirit. So I hope it's going great. Um, If you're brand new at our church, we're in a series titled Knowing God, Knowing God. And now uh, we've been in it for almost, I think, six weeks now. Uh, It's been, I believe, uh, an amazing series. Can I use the word amazing? I'm going to do it. It's been an amazing series. And here's why we started it. I believe it's so important for a believer and even a seeker to start to actually see the real picture of Jesus. So how do you see a picture of Jesus? You go to the Gospels. Four books. Oh, it's an amazing painting with words of how great our God is. I'll never forget being in Europe uh, last year, 2019. 2019, we went to Europe and we were like doing one of these tours and I'm a pastor, by the way, and they're showing us all these statues and I come across this statue and we had this tour guide for a couple of days and he knew I was a pastor. We had conversations. Oh, what do you do in America? Oh, I pastor a church. And so I remember I'm, I'm walking there and I, I literally ask him, I go, hey, so what's that? And he goes, that is the Christ. That is Jesus Christ, Pastor Tyler. And I was like, Oh, yeah, 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 of course, yeah, yeah. Like, he was like, he was shocked that a pastor from America could not recognize Jesus Christ. Now, let, let me just tell you something real quick. The more and more I looked at this statue of the Christ, um, you got to know something real quick. It was mopey Jesus. It was sad Jesus. I, I, I saw this man standing there like this, like this. I never, I, that's not the picture. When I picture Jesus, I don't picture mopey Jesus. Don't get me wrong. The Bible says that he was a man of sorrow. I picture us, uh, Jesus sad at times, um, crying be, uh, and, and literally sweating and, and dripping blood before the crucifixion. I, I get that. But this statue was a terrible picture of Jesus. I almost want to ask, ask the tour guide later on the day, hold on a second, who painted that Jesus? Because he doesn't know Jesus. Now, now, let me say something real quick. If I had a whole church make statues of Jesus, I wonder what your Jesus would look like. I wonder if, if I could go, oh, there's Jesus. And here's what I love. This is why we're doing the series, because I believe at the end of this Knowing God series that your statue would look way more like Jesus than it did before. You, you read the Gospel of John and you'll, you'll see a passionate Jesus. He's passionate about his church. He flips tables. We do not worship some wuss. We worship a king, a warrior. You're going to see a, a loving Jesus. Oh, a patient Jesus. He's hanging out with 12 knuckleheads for three years. They're doing silly things. And over and over again, he's loving and he's gracious and he's coaching them. Oh, you're going to see an enjoyable God. Oh, you're going to see a God where sinners want to be around him. An enjoyable Jesus, a Jesus who likes to party. You're going to see a God that that when he's hanging out, kids want to sit in his lap. This is not a mean God. This is a God that attracts people. Now, let me ask you, if I saw your statue, would I go, what is that? Oh, that is the Christ, Pastor Tyler. No, no, no. We need a church where people read the word and actually know what their God looks like because you'll never know who you are until you know who he is. So that's why we're doing Knowing God. Now, we are in a uh, chapter that is a chapter that I would say is a 
cornerstone verse in our church. It is a, a verse that's on our website from day one. It's John 4. Now, John 4, if I could just simplify it for you, John 4 is all about evangelism. It's an evangelistic verse. It's Jesus seeking out the one. Now, in John 3, last week I taught on Nicodemus. Nicodemus, a religious man, came inside of Jesus to ask questions, to have an academic conversation. Well, this one mirrors it on the other side of the coin. The Samaritan woman's not even looking for Jesus. The Samaritan woman doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. But Jesus wants to have something to do with the Samaritan woman. He seeks her out. He goes to evangelize. We'll see uh, um, verbiage like this. He has to go this way to encounter the one. Uh, and so John 4 is about evangelism. There's three things you'll see right off the bat about John 4. First one is John 4 shows us how to evangelize, how to evangelize. Now, when I use the word evangelism, a lot of Christians right away shut down. Tyler, this message isn't for me. Um, I'm, I'm not an evangelist. Uh, this, this message isn't for me. I don't have problems. Because you'll see in John 4, this woman's got a lot of man problems. She's got like five different husbands. She's the one that, you know, wouldn't get the card from family on the weekend. She's the one that the, ki- the, the mom didn't have the bumper sticker. My daughter is a Samaritan woman by the well. Nobody had that bumper sticker for their kid, okay? Uh, she was one of those people. So you may be not thinking this message is for you. Uh, let's pause real quick. If you're with somebody, turn to your neighbor and say, this message is for you, okay? Um, turn to your other neighbor and say, this message is for you. If you're by yourself, tell me right now, Pastor Tal, this message is for you. If you're by yourself, I'm going to tell you right now, this message is for you. I can't stand it when Christians uh, hear a message or read the Bible and they tell me this. Ooh, my dad needs to hear that. Ooh, my wife needs to hear that. No, you need to hear this today. You are an evangelist. So what does it mean to be an evangelist? I just wrote down a simple quote. Ready? Evangelism isn't about selling. It's about sharing. You'll, you'll see here that Jesus comes on the scene. Here's all he does. He shares the freeness and the greatness of the gospel message. I, I think there's nothing worse than watching somebody get force-fed. Like a kid who doesn't want to eat anymore, and the mom's like, come on, the kid's like, Rah! food all over their face, you know? Now imagine being an adult trying to feed another adult. Like, no, it's, it's terrible. I've been around Christians who try to, uh, before I got saved, try to force-feed me the gospel, try to force-feed me this doctrine that they want me to have. Um, I literally would walk away from those moments feeling like I got waterboarded by a Christian. Like, oh, I gotta get out of here. It was the worst thing. Here's the thing that we need to do, uh, church, ready? Just share the greatness of God and the freeness of the gospel. And here's why it's the greatness and the freeness. Uh, The gospel uh, message is about grace. The Samaritan woman did nothing to earn this encounter or to earn salvation. It's interesting that that wages uh, um, uh, are are things that you have to earn, but but grace is something that you're given. So what would hold you back? What would hold somebody back from the gift of grace and the gift of salvation? Somebody that's pride. I don't want your charity. It is not your job for you to have people say yes to this gospel message, but it is your job to share the gospel message. So we're gonna see Jesus paint the picture of just sharing the greatness of the gospel. Second thing we'll see in John 4 is John 4 shows us that we should be stubborn with the mission, but flexible with the methods. Let me say that again. We should be stubborn with the mission, but flexible with the methods. I love this chapter. You wanna know why? Because Jesus explodes everything basically in this chapter. He explodes cultural context. No way does a Jewish man talk to a Samaritan woman. We don't do that in this culture. Second thing, he blows the religious context. No way uh, does a rabbi uh, talk to a woman even in public, let alone the rabbi of all rabbis talk to a Samaritan. Oh, I mean, he explodes it. Let me tell you how much he explodes it. Rabbis in this time, uh, the strictest ones especially, told you you weren't even allowed to talk to women in public. Even your wife and daughter. 
If you saw him publicly, you only talk to him inside your house in private. You don't talk to him in public. There were even Pharisees at this time called bruised and bleeding Pharisees. They were so strict that they would actually close their eyes if women were around and walk around. And why they were called bruised and bleeding Pharisees is because they would walk into walls and bruise themselves and bleed because their eyes were closed because they thought they shouldn't even be able to see a woman. That is, can I say something? When you become religious, you take a quick hard left turn to Stupidville. I'm I'm just gonna, I'm gonna preach hard against religion real quick. Uh, Religious people fall in love with methods and they almost forget about the mission. The mission is to reach a person with the gospel message. But they say, the methods are this. This is how we do service. This is what's important to us. And if we don't do it this way, then it's wrong. They talk to you more about the methods than they do about the mission. They talk more about the methods than they do talk about the man and his name is Jesus. uh, I'll just say it real quick. And this is going to be a little, this is rough a little bit feathers, but I, I got to go for it. Um, there are people who will ask me and even come to this church and one of their, their big bars is this. Well, what's your view on women senior pastors? Do you know the only people in the Bible that ask questions like that when they come to Jesus are Pharisees. You know the problem with Pharisees? They don't know the Pharisees. Can I tell you something real quick? I've been to churches that uh, um, believe that women shouldn't be pastors or senior pastors. I'm not going to share my view on that. It's not even worth it to me. Jesus didn't send me to the, to the earth and to preach the gospel to have this be my big flag in the sand. I don't even know where I stand, to be honest, uh, I, like where am I going to die on a hill? I have my own views, but for another day, but I've been to churches where they said, women cannot be senior pastors. But let me read you a verse in that same book where they pull it from. It says in 1 Timothy 2, it says, likewise, also the woman should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not braided hair, no gold, no pearls, and no costly attire. So I walk in those churches and I see gold earrings. I see braided hair. I see nice clothes and I'm going, man, religion just makes the church look stupid. It just explodes. Because again, when, when you're looking for Jesus, oh, and this is why, you think I'm being hard on religious people right now? I'm, I'm being soft compared to what Jesus, he would call them uh, brood of vipers. He would call them whitewashed tombs because here's what happened with religious people. Jesus is trying to get to the one and they're putting methods and barriers in the, in the way of him actually encountering them. Some of you are missing out on the mission of Jesus because you're so obsessed with the methods of religion. Can I just say something real quick? Knock it off. I, 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 I love our church. We were bragging as a staff the other day. Our church is, I believe, a very healthy church because we don't have a lot of religious people that try to divide over little things. Religious people are always itching where nobody's scratching. Man, we're all about the mission. We're not talking about, oh, hold on a second. What do you think really what that Greek word meant? Oh, hold on a second. That worship song was not vertical enough. There was a little too much horizontal. We need more vertical. Stop it. We're always going to lift up the name of Jesus' mission church. <sighs> I got to take some water after that one. Sorry. If you're a religious person and you're going to leave the church, don't leave. Let's just talk. Let's talk. Uh, if you are a religious person you'll leave, I got some good churches for you. Talk to me. I'll point you that way. Okay, okay let's keep going. John 4, here we go. Third, third thing it shows us. John 4 shows us uh, what one conversation can do. Shows us what one conversation can do. This last point before I get into the, uh, in the scripture is this. Is our church needs to dream a little bigger this next season. 2021, we need to start going from surviving from 2020 to dreaming in 2021. And I love John 4. It just, it shows you, again, this amazing picture of this one conversation that uh, one woman gets saved and then God uses a Samaritan woman and her testimony to transform a whole village. I mean, transform a whole village from one conversation. We got to start dreaming that when we start to share the gospel, that it could transform a whole family. We got to start dreaming when we share the gospel, it could change a whole city, change a whole county, change a whole bay, change a whole state and change a whole nation.
If we don't believe in the gospel message and we don't believe it can do that, then why are you even talking about it? It changed my life forever. It took me from somebody who was literally a depressed kid at times, suicidal, to a joyful victor and conqueror. Man, I believe in the gospel message. I'm gonna talk about it. So the title of my message, I'm gonna pray. It's a powerful one, you ready? It's titled, One Person at a Time. It may sound familiar. It's our mission statement. It's our vision statement. Our mission is to change the world one person at a time. Vision is simply this, what could be and should be. And the mission is how you get there. So you'll see on our website, one conversation at a time, one kind act at a time. So today we're gonna talk about the one conversation at a time. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have called us to reach people with your love and with your gospel. Oh, not to get caught up in the weeds. God, our desire is to be holy. Our desire is to say yes to the right things. But God, may we not fall in love with the religion, but today, may we, we become a church even more that we fall in love with the relationship that is uh, with you. Oh, Lord, may my words, fall to the floor in your words, Lord. We love you, we love you. Everybody said, amen, amen, come on. All right, so here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna read and I'm gonna preach. I'm gonna read, I'm gonna preach. I did last week. I told you I preached it like I felt it. I liked it so much, I'm gonna do it again. You know, it's funny as a communicator, you can fall in love with, so I'm gonna uh, read the scriptures and give you three points this week, or I'm gonna give you one point and that's it. Or I'm gonna give you two points. Sometimes it's fun just to mix it up. I never wanna fall with the method of preaching. I just wanna preach the gospel. So here we go, John 4, John 4. Now Jesus learned that a Pharisee had, uh, now Jesus uh, learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Stop. Every word in the Bible is on purpose. God used mankind by his breath, his spirit, to take pen to paper for his words. It's the Holy Spirit saying this to us. Jesus had to go through Samaria. You can hear Jesus saying, I gotta go. And I can't go this way, I can't go that way. I gotta go through Samaria. Let me share a couple things real quick with you. He is in Judea. And it's 120 miles. Just picture a piece of land, 120 miles. You got Judea on the bottom, Galilee on the top, and then you got Samaria in the middle. The normal route for a Jewish man was to go the Eastern route and to go around Samaria because the Jews hated the Samaritans. You wouldn't even wanna walk through their town, let alone see one. You would go a longer route. You would inconvenience yourself. You would labor like crazy to get around these people because you didn't even wanna see them. And Jesus said, not me, I gotta go through Samaria. I'm going right here all the way up. I love that verge, I have to, I have to go. I have to go through Samaria. Church, uh, there are some have tos that you have to hold closely in your life. There are some have tos that we have to hold closely at Mission Church, they're non-negotiables. Mission Church, we have to love people that think differently than us, we have to. We have to. I think it's interesting, there's three groups in this little uh, land. There's the, the uh, Galileans, the Judeans, and the Samaritans. I think it's interesting in America that we have Democrats, Republicans, and Independents. I think it's interesting that we have three different groups that everybody's trying to pile up. What are you, what are you? And, and the reality is, is that if somebody thinks different, we decide we throw them off. You will not be an evangelist, you will not reach people with the gospel if you don't have the have-tos close to your vest. Oh, I have to love somebody who voted differently than me. I have to love somebody who looks differently than me. I have to love somebody that walks through the doors and maybe dresses a little different than I do. Uh, if you're somebody who's older and you look at younger people that dress differently and you despise the next generation, oh, you gotta change your heart. Oh, you're like, these young kids, I don't know what's gonna happen in America. They just love tech and social media, the way they dress and talk. America's going to hell in a handbasket. Stop thinking that way and start looking at them a little different. 
It's interesting that we can be racist and we can be ageist. We can be political um, uh, people who make people villains. When, when Obama was the president, they called him the Antichrist. When, uh, when uh, Trump was the president, they called him Hitler. And now uh, the new president, uh, Joe Biden, congratulations. I'm going to pray for him every day. Now they're calling him the new Antichrist. It's crazy to me that each group just starts name calling. Church, we will not be name callers. We'll be evangelists. We have to love people who are different. I love the have to. Write down your have to's. And you're not living your have to's? Say goodnight to uh, evangelizing. Let's keep going. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of uh, ground uh, Jacob, and had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. I love scripture in the Gospels because the Christology study, you'll see this in Philippians 2, and just all the verses that describe who Christ is on the earth, is he's fully God, but he's fully man. Jesus is tired. He's been working so hard. He's been loving people and being challenged and being, you know, uh, uh, even worried about being killed by people. Um, and he walks in the middle of the day, which nobody would walk in the middle of the day of the noon. He's tired, but it's worth it to him. So he sits there, down there and he's tired. It's the picture of our God who's fully God and fully man. He's feeling tired. If you ever feel tired, Jesus has felt tired too. Here's what happens. Jacob's well is there and Jesus tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town by, to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? She's right there, she's like, hold on a second, you must not be talking to me. And today in this message, when I talk about the Samaritan woman and her having five husbands, you're gonna be saying, you must not be talking to me. Can I tell you something real quick about the Samaritan woman? She didn't have a guy problem. She had a thirst problem. Let me say that again. She didn't have a guy problem. She had a thirst problem. Everybody listening today, you can relate with the Samaritan woman. You may not have a thirst problem uh, to have a, another dating person, but you may have a thirst problem for affirmation. You may have a thirst problem for a career. You may have a thirst problem for friendship. And the reality is, is Jesus is coming on the scene, speaking to you and I saying, that thirst problem you have, I am here to satisfy it. Now she is surprised. You know what's funny about John 4? The Samaritan woman's surprised. The, the, the disciples, when they come back, they're surprised because Jesus is exploding all the context of how they would have done things back then. What's he doing telling the Samaritan woman? What's he doing doing this? What you doing doing this, Jesus? The gospel is surprising. A great church is surprising to a great city. May we surprise the East Bay region. May we surprise them with generosity. May we surprise people that we never thought that, they would, they, that we would talk to them, that we would talk to them. May we surprise people with our kindness. Oh, she's surprised. Let's surprise some people. Now, uh, Jesus uh, answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was uh, asked for you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So the woman said, you have nothing to draw uh, with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us a well and drank from itself as you did also his sons and his livestock? I love this. She's like, hold on a second. You asked me for water. Now you're saying to me, oh girl, if you knew who I was, you would want the water that I got. Now, it's interesting that Jesus used the picture of thirst and dehydration. I don't know a lot about dehydration, so I had to Google it. I had to study it, study it for you. Do you know when you de dehydrate, you actually start to feel it physically? Your body starts to yearn, starts to crave water. Do you know your tongue starts to swell when you get dehydrated? Do you know your body starts to get set on fire when you get dehydrated? Literally, when you get dehydrated, your body starts to just start screaming, ah, water. It screams for water. It is pleading for water because your body's 50% or more uh, water. Half of this is water. And Jesus uses this picture, your spirit is dehydrated. It is screaming 
for living water. This is the picture he's saying to you and to I. Oh, if you could just hear your spirit the way you hear your body, if you could just listen to your spirit the way you listen to your body, you would want the water I got. And she goes, hold on a second. Now you're offering me this kind of water. You ain't got no bucket. Can I just give you a picture real quick? Jesus is, I, I, wish, I, I, I wish Jesus would have said this to her. And this is, this is the cliff notes of the conversation. We got to understand this. That in John 4, it wasn't like verbatim, like Jesus, bop, bop, bop. They talked for a while. I, I wonder if he said in the conversation, girl, I, I got a bucket. You the bucket and I'm the water. I'm about to fill you up with the living water. Can I tell you something real quick? You're the bucket and he's the water. Sometimes we, we look at ourselves and we think we're so great. We th- Pastors will tell Christians things to make themselves feel better. There's two revelations that happen in John 4. You ready for this? The revelation of how great Jesus is and the revelation of how broken she is. You will never really want the living water until you see the revelation of how great the living water is and how broken you are. And once you realize those two things, you're going to say, oh Lord, pour pour it in. Give me that living water. She goes on to say, uh, what are you talking about? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whatever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep here to draw water. Hook, line, and sinker. Bang, we got one, Jesus. We about to lead another salvation. Altar call time, her hands going up at the end. There's just something about sharing a testimony and seeing her be like, what you, why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman. Hey, you don't got no bucket. And she's like, you know, all right, hey, tell me where it is. I, I, I'm, I'm down. I'm down. Like, like it's, it's interesting to see the, the, the story arc of this. She's like, hold on a second. What do you mean? You ain't got no bucket. Oh, dang. Okay, where is that bucket? Where is that water? Hook, line, and sinker. Salvation is on the horizon. Let me, uh, let me share a little illustration to ask you a question of where you're at in, in your life as somebody who has maybe a thirst problem. Uh, my wife and I, um, we love going out to eat. It's one of my favorite things on the planet. Grew up poor. Uh, we never went out to eat. The first time we went and, and had a, a meal at a restaurant as a family, I was a junior in high school, 17 years old. First time ever, it was the Dirty Bird, Red Robin. I remember going out and I felt like we were the richest people on the planet. Endless fries, got me a burger. And I remember it was the first time I ate, ate out. So now getting older, it always just feels like this treat. I feel like a millionaire. It doesn't matter where we go out to eat. I just love going out to eat. But I am a server's worst nightmare. Not because I'm rude. I'm one of the nicest people on the planet. I'm one of the weird people like, what's your name? Flo? Well, nice to meet you, Flo. My name's Tyler. This is my wife, Rachel. Thank you so much. I mean, I'm that kind of guy. You know, like, I start a conversation. What's your dreams, Flo? Like, I'm that kind of uh, a person, person waiting on. I'll shoot conversation. You know, hey, thanks, friend. Like, the last time we went out, Liddy, uh, the server asked me, are you in the industry, too? You're just so kind. The only people who are nice to me are other servers. I'm like, no, I'm actually not in the industry. It's like one of those moments, like, man, I'm killing it. But here's where I'm the nightmare. You ready? I'm a great tipper, by the way. Okay, I'm a great tipper. I'm not one of those weird Christians that give no tip and write a Bible verse. Jesus loves you, peace out, zero tip. No, 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 don't do that, church, okay? Um, I give a generous tip. Here's why I'm the worst nightmare. I drink so much water when I'm at the table. I am asking for refills constantly. Before water was Diet Coke, I could drink six to 12 Diet Cokes at one meal. It was bad. I just, uh, I, I just have to drink a lot. One of the reasons is I have a little Schatzky ring in my esophagus, so I need to drink water to help push the food down my esophagus. It's a birth defect. I'm fine. The Lord loves me. Uh, he still made me 6'4", uh, 200 pounds of steel and sex appeal. Yeah, that's what my girl says. I didn't say it. That's what my wife says. I'm allowed to say it because my wife said it about me. 6'4", yeah, okay, all good. Let's keep going. Um, anyways. So I'll be at a restaurant and the server, like after the second cup, we'll get the third cup and go fill it up. And they're like, excuse me, fourth cup. And then by the fifth cup, I'll sometimes be like, did the server go home? 
Is the server even out here anymore? I feel like they found a new route so they wouldn't find me. Like, like stay away from table seven. That guy just keeps on asking for more water. So eventually what I have to do is I take my wife's water cup. And so, so she's gotten strategic where she puts it on the corners to the right. But if she forgets, she'll go to grab her water cup and it'll be empty. Like, you drink water? I'm like, sorry. I just, I drink a lot of water. I can't help myself. Now, I'm worse nightmare for uh, servers at a restaurant. Let's, let's bring this back to you now. Some of you are like that for churches. You go to churches and you're so thirsty. You're so thirsty for affirmation. You're so thirsty uh, for the church to meet a need in your life that only Jesus could is that you drive everybody in the small group crazy. You drive the senior pastor crazy and pastors crazy because they never can give you enough. Some of you are a worst nightmare for friendships because your friends can give and give and give, but they're never enough for you. There's never enough for you. Some of it's with your workers and your bosses and your coworkers. You work for somebody and your boss can never do enough for you. You're the worst nightmare for your boss. You may be the worst nightmare for your spouse because your spouse will give and give and give, but for some reason you're never satisfied because they keep filling your cup. But the problem is, is that they're not the ones that are a well, they're just another cup. Stop looking for cups and start looking for wells. Let, let me tell you something real quick. When you look at other people as cups, they will satisfy you for a second. And Jesus is saying, I'm living water. This uh, Greek word is literally a bubbling spring of a well. It's never stopping. It's always overflowing. My favorite thing about our church is we got a lot of people that I call our spilling buckets. They're buckets full of water. And the Bible says that our cup overfloweth. But I want to use the word bucket because that's what this talks about right here. It talks about buckets. Now, I believe when people come into our church that they're going to see a bunch of overflowing buckets and want what's in the bucket. And I'm going to pause there because that's going to be towards the end. But I, want you to, I just want you to think about that real quick. I want you to start thinking, am I a bucket that overflows and spills into people's life? Do they leave refreshed? Because I just got so much life overflowing. Or am I somebody that's a robber that always is just trying to take more and never thankful? Oh, he told her, go and get your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. She said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. But what you, uh, uh, what you have just said is quite true. I love it. Jesus has to show her, uh, has to show her, her brokenness so he can heal it. Sometimes it'll, my least favorite moments of the Lord is when he shows me my brokenness, shows me my, my grossness, but he's got to show it to me so he can heal it. So here's what he showed to her. You have romanticized the wrong thing. You, you, have, you have made men the thing that would satisfy you. Now let's talk about romanticizing real quick. Um, romanticizing is an interesting term, but we do in America all the time. So romanticizing would be just like all of our songs romanticize like finding the one. A lot of movies romanticize finding the one. And so if you've romanticized a person, what happens is, is that your whole life you're going, ooh, if I could just find the one, then all my life will be better. My emptiness will be gone. If you romanticize religion, oh, if everybody could just be on the same page with me biblically, we would have a great church and a great world. You romanticize religion thinking that it would save you and fix you. Some of you uh, fantasize and uh, um, romanticize politics. If everybody was just a Democrat, everything would be perfect in America. If everybody was a Republican, everything would be perfect. You romanticize politics. 
Some of you romanticize money. If I just had this much money, romanticize, romanticize, romanticize. Problem is, is Jesus is going to say to you the same thing. Hey, go get your politics and bring it to me because it's not the thing that's going to save you or save this world. He, just like the Samaritan woman, go get your five husbands and bring them back. I feel the Lord saying that stuff to me all the time. Tyler, go get your performance and bring it to me. You think performance is going to save you? I explode performance. I'm the one who fills your cup. Tyler, go get your, own, your, your broken religion. Oh, I, I, I get religious. I feel like if I am more obedient throughout the week, I'm going to preach better. What do I have, a push button God? This, these are things I still struggle with. Some of you guys are going to say to you, hey, go get your career and bring it to me. It is not the thing that's going to fix you. Hey, go get your spouse and your family and lay it at the altar and say, this is not what's going to satisfy me. It is mine to steward. I, I, if I'm being honest, Rachel, I love my wife. Oh, I love my baby girl. I love Rachel. But something that I feel like has made our marriage flourish and the Lord has, uh, has shown me is that Rachel is not my well. Oh, I, I take the things that I love most. My girl, I love ministry. I love what I get to do. I love Mission Church. And I have to lay it at the altar of Jesus and say, Lord, none of this satisfies me. If you want to take ministry away from me, you can take ministry away from me. It's not mine. Mission Church is not mine. I think of Rachel and I, I, I think we're going to live, both live till 90, maybe 95. Rachel's got great genes in her family, lived 100. But I, I know that this, 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 this time we have on earth, oh, I'm just stewarded and I'm thankful for my baby girl. Stop romanticizing the wrong things. Jesus wants you to go get it and bring it to the altar and lay it at his feet. Almost done. You ready? I, uh, I'm almost there. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. That's what Jesus, it's so important. You worship what you don't know. We need to know our God and who we worship. We, uh, we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and truth. I love it. Some translation, New King James says the best. He is seeking worshipers that will worship him. Oof! God is literally in heaven, the Bible says, looking for worshipers, looking for people to come as buckets and say, Lord, I pour out my life. And this is what happens with worship. You pour out your life. But it says in Ephesians, when the blessings go, uh, when the praises go up, the blessings come down. So just picture this real quick. You're a bucket and you start pouring out in worship and the praises go out. But when the praises go out, the Bible says that blessing comes down and it fills the bucket and it overflows. Let's get back to the bucket real quick. And this is what I believe for our church. I believe that we are going to have a church that worships like no other. I, uh, I want to share a picture with you. I shared it with our worship team this week when, uh, before we led worship. I, I don't have a lot of uh, huge prophetic moments in my life, but when I do, I hold on to them. When I feel like it's from the Lord and not from me, when I, when I feel like God has given me a picture, when, when something's bubbled out of my spirit, when I feel like, God, this is not from me, it's from you, something I get over and over again about our church is that our church is going to be marked by how we worship. That people will walk into Mission Church and it will be heaven-touching-earth type of worship. That people are going to worship unashamed. Businessmen that never would raise their hands anywhere, not even sport events, are going to raise their hand to the living God. People who are just stoic are going to worship God and start bawling their head off because they're encountering the living God. People are going to see that kind of stuff. Worship is going to be not of this world at Mission Church. And here's what I picture. I picture a bunch of buckets spilling water. I picture people next to you going, what is going on with that person? But as they see you spilling water into their section, they're like, 
I don't know, but I, I kind of want to join in on this party. You want to know? I've experienced that in my life. My grandma was a bucket. You can make fun of her. We used to mock her all the time. She would bring over this little egg thing that we had to open up and talk about during Easter. We'd get in the car. She got me saved, I think, like 17 times from ages uh, four to 10. I mean, she literally walked me to the front of an aisle and I would get saved. Some places would pour oil on my head. Some places would pour water on my head. Some places would just have me raise a hand. Some places would want me to fill out a card and then call me next week. It was kind of weird. But I got saved 17 times. 17, I'm, I'm saved. I'm for sure saved. Man, she, she had so much passion for God that if you're around my grandma, it's gonna spill out in your life. She had so much passion to live for her God that if you're around her for just a little bit, that bucket was gonna spill into your life. My grandma shared the gospel with me. She shared it with my whole family. I'd like to tell you that everyone in my family, when the bucket spilled in their, their lap, they said, ooh, I want this God. For some reason, I was like the Samaritan woman. I saw brokenness, I saw despair, and I said, man, that's the only route for me. I want that Jesus. Oh, let's be that kind of church. I really don't care what people think about me anymore. I just don't. I mean, I just, I just wanna spill out the truth and the love of God in a place that desperately needs it. If you go on and read it, it gets pretty good. It talks about the disciples coming back and them being confused that uh, he's full, but he hasn't eaten yet, and they just look like knuckleheads again, and, uh, but slowly and surely, Jesus is breaking down the barriers for them because it's the first time they're going to Samaria and probably shopping is what theologians say. And so even for them, this is becoming a norm. Like, oh, wow, we're going to reach Samaritan too, I guess. Like Jesus is breaking down barriers for the disciples even. And he goes on to say, he says, open your eyes. The harvest is huge. And for some of you, you, you see the brokenness and you see it as a bad thing. Can I just tell you something real quick? It's, 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 a, it's a statement that people say a lot, but an evangelist sees an opportunity. Others see obstacles. This obstacle in the Bay Area, the least church region, woof, it's the opportunity of all opportunities to see the greatest revival ever. Woof, it's an open market for all the churches to see so many people get saved and to see miracle after miracle. So let's finish with this. So don't get done with this teaching and leave here and be like, I'm not gonna thirst anymore. I heard the message today, I'm no longer thirsty. I was thinking about touching on, you know, the old, uh, thing. I mean, I think it's like a year old, so it's not even like relevant anymore, but um, the term thirsty in our culture, it's kind of, to be honest, be, be honest, our young people got pretty um, theological because they started using the term, oh, she's thirsty. Oh, he's thirsty. And all it means is somebody who's desperate for a guy or a girl, desperate for a date. And, you know, they even talk about like thirst traps where like somebody who poses like a, like a provocative picture, like, you know, like, and they're like, oh my gosh, I got to call that person because they, they <laughs> that's the worst thirst trap ever. But that, that's, okay. anyways, um, so you got uh, uh, these terms and Jesus comes on the scene and man, you think you're relevant young people for thinking of thirsty? Jesus thought of it 2,000 years ago. And he addresses this with the Samaritan woman, but it's interesting, he doesn't tell her to stop drinking. He just says you're drinking in the wrong place. This is not AA. 12 years, I haven't had a sit. No, this is, this is what happens to Christians. Woo, five years and I'm overflowing. I found the well of all wells. You should see my coin. <laughs> I don't got a coin, I got a bucket. Let me, let, me, let me read you a verse real quick. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Ooh, it's right there. It's, it's the promise of John 4. You'll see the gospel over and over again reaffirming itself. He says to her, girl, you've been drinking things, you're always gonna be thirsty. It's like drinking salt water. It's gonna kill you. But you drink from this well, you will be filled. It literally means to be gorged, overflowing. Now, Why do we get to do this? 
Jesus is on the cross and he's about to die and it's one of seven statements. And Jesus, who is fulfillment, who is abundance, makes a statement and he says this, I thirst. If you know anything about uh, the crucifixion is that Jesus has to drink the cup of wrath so we can drink the cup of salvation. Jesus becomes thirsty and he feels it spiritually. His spirit is dehydrated, yearning for the presence of God. But this is the propitiation moment where God's spirit is removed from Jesus and the wrath of sin is on Jesus' life. And he says, I thirst. And do you know what people do? There is a moment in the gospel where he says, I thirst, and they go get this wine. It's cheap wine. It's what the um, soldiers would be drinking while they're crucifying the, their criminals. And they take some of that cheap wine. They mix it with some myrrh. Myrrh is like a, uh, like a drug. Uh, let's just call it like a Vicodin, if you will. It's a, it's a drug with the wine that would, would help the prisoners cope with the pain. And so they bring it, and he goes, I thirst. And they bring him the, the wine and the myrrh, and he will not drink it. And I, I would submit to you, here is the theological reason. Because if he would have drank that wine and that myrrh, Jesus would have given us a model. Cope when you're thirsty. Because they were offering him a coping method, not a conquering method. And so Jesus could have drank the wine and myrrh and coped with the pain. But he said, when I cried out, I thirst. I don't thirst for the world. I don't thirst for coping. I don't thirst for a person. I thirst for the presence of God. I hunger and thirst for the righteousness because that's the only thing that fills me. Here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna thirst tomorrow. And the world is gonna offer you wine and myrrh. It's gonna offer you things to cope. And you can cope with social media. You can cope with drugs. You can cope with alcohol. You can cope with sex. You can cope with lust. But we are not called to cope with this thing called the world. We're supposed to conquer it. And the way we conquer it is we drink from the living water. Oh, we drink for fulfillment and from fulfillment. Oh, church, let me say this to you. Tomorrow, wake up and drink some living water. Let me pray for you real quick. God, I thank you. God, I thank you that you died on a cross that you didn't drink uh, of this world. So therefore you set a model, we will not drink of this world. God, I pray for the one right now listening that's never said yes to you, that has a thirst problem, that wants to fix that thirst problem today. If that's you today at home, I wanna give you an invitation. You wanna say yes to Jesus. You wanna say yes to living water. I wanna type yes in the YouTube chat right now. Say, I wanna say yes to Jesus. If you're, wanna tell, if you're with somebody, tell somebody said yes. Uh, email us at, at, at Mission Church to tell us say yes. Go on the website and tell us you said yes. Tell somebody you said yes. Because one of my favorite parts of this whole story in John 4 is she goes and tells everybody. A woman who was avoiding everybody comes back to this town and goes, come meet a man who knows everything I, about me and he still loves me. That's our Jesus. He knows everything about you and he still loves you. Woo, start with that, young Christian. Mission Church, I love you. Be blessed. I'll see you next Sunday. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.